0: Well, what a celebratory Sunday. This is so as a church is to plant churches. By God's grace, we've been able to send out teams in our nation and amongst the nations of the earth. But this is a dream. Long time coming is to plant churches here in our city. Our hope is that this will be the first of many. But it's a joy to get to see that take a step today and to get to see that take a step alongside each one of you. We are going to continue our series going through the book of Hebrews Why are we doing this? Because we all know that life is hard. Facing life's lows, life's letdowns, life's losses as so many of us have experienced over the last 18 months. And for those who haven't, we're not being honest with ourselves. This has been a very, very hard season that we have been in as a people, let alone the individual trials and temptations that we're all going through at any given time, and when that happens, when you're facing the hardships of life, it's easy to become weary. It's easy to feel run down. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose your way. You feel like, oh man, I just feel numb. I'm out of gas, I'm out of energy, I don't know, and you just feel worn out. And so we're going through the book of Hebrews because we know that we are in need of resilience. We're in need of spiritual strength that we might face the trials and temptations of life and stay faithful to Jesus. And the book of Hebrews was written to a church that was going through incredible hardship And over and over and over again, the author of the letter would speak to them about how they could develop the spiritual strength that God wanted them to have to be able to face the trials and temptations of life. And this book has been a source for Christians for generations around the world, not just those early Christians, but so many have found strength and resilience through the words in this letter. And our belief is that as we go through this over these weeks, we're in week four today of a nine-week study, as we go through the book of Hebrews, that we wouldn't just learn about resilience, we wouldn't just hear how long ago they were resilient, but that we would open up our hearts and we'd open up our minds and we'd open up our lives for the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst to help us develop resilience in this season that spiritual strength that we all need to face the trials and temptations of life. So turn to your neighbor and say, developing resilience. And here's what we've seen. We've seen a number of ways that we develop resilience, that we build resilience. The author of Hebrews was teaching their church that we develop resilience as followers of Jesus by seeing and paying attention to him. When we see him, when we pay attention to him, it fills us with renewed spiritual strength. We develop resilience through receiving help from Jesus. We're not just looking at him, but he wants to help you and me. And when we receive his help, we receive new strength. We develop resilience by giving and receiving encouragement to one another that God works through our encouraging words that we give and that we receive to build spiritual strength, to build resilience. And today what we're going to see is we're in Hebrews chapter four is that we develop resilience, we build resilience as the people of Jesus through rest, through rest. We develop resilience through rest. Now, world-class athletes, Know that rest builds resilience, that it's through rest that they develop physical strength, mental strength, the stamina that they need to be excellent at their craft. Some interesting stories and stats about rest from professional athletes. Roger Federer, any tennis any tennis people in here? Okay, a few. I tried to branch out from my normal basketball references to include some other sports. So there you go, tennis people. Roger Federer owns the all-time record of 20 Grand Slam tennis titles, and he loves his rest. He says it's one of his secrets. He said, if I don't sleep 11 to 12 hours a day, things are not right. So he's realized that for him to compete at a top level like that, that he needs rest. I keep telling my four-year-old that I need the same thing, and he doesn't listen. We're working on that one. Michael Phelps who won a record 23 Olympic gold medals was so committed to rest that he slept in a special sleep chamber that simulated sleeping at high altitudes at 8,500 or 9,000 feet so that his body would produce more red blood cells and that those red blood cells would help his endurance improve. So part of the secret to his 23 gold medals was the way he rested. LeBron, you know I have to get a LeBron in here. LeBron, the age-defying MVP, uh, said he sleeps 12 hours a day. And Leo Messi, for all you soccer lovers, I learned that he walks 83 percent of the games that he plays in. He's playing in the game, and he's walking. Eighty-three percent of the game. Now, soccer. I thought was a sport you run around in. Not that familiar with it, but you know that's what I thought. Walks eighty-three percent of the game, and it's the other seventeen percent when he runs that makes him arguably the best player in the world. Right? He knows the power of rest. World-class athletes know that rest builds reservoirs of resilience. And as we move into Hebrews chapter four. We see that the author of Hebrews continues to build on this theme of rest that we began to talk about last week. As we looked at chapter three, he continues talking about rest because he knows that rest is vital for the people of Jesus to build not just physical resilience. That's important, but spiritual resilience, spiritual strength through rest that comes through following Jesus. And so we're going to learn today about rest and its power to help us be resilient. Now, interesting fact why I think this is especially important for us. I think this is important for everyone, but I think this is very important for us. Uh, Several years ago, I spoke with a friend who is a pastor in sunny San Diego, California. And we were talking about life, and he made an interesting comment to me. He said that there... He said, I'm surprised by how much time we spend encouraging people, discipling people, uh, helping people work. We're like, you got to get a job. You need to have work. ethic." He said, people here, so many that he was with, they want to go enjoy San Diego and hang out. Who can blame them? Right. But he said, man, we just spend a lot of time teaching work ethic. And I thought about that. I'm like, I have been in Dallas uh, 11 years. I can count on the number of times that I've needed to have a conversation with someone about working, like going and pursuing work, maybe a handful of times, right? It's the opposite here. We have so many conversations with people, with our church, in discipleship, about rest. Way more often than saying, hey, go get a job, go work hard. It's like, hey... You need to take a break in Dallas. We know about working hard. I look at our church. You guys are hard workers, right? Where we have room to learn and to grow is how in the midst of working hard do we learn to rest and value rest? That's what we need. So I think this word is not just timeless for believers everywhere. But I think it's timely for you and for me in the context that we find ourselves seeking to follow Jesus in. So Hebrews chapter four, starting in verse one. The author says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So remember, in Hebrews chapter three, which we looked at last week, the author began to speak about a rest that was for the people of God in their day. When God brought the ancient Israelites out of Egypt and was leading them into the promised land, that land was to be marked by rest. And the author began to speak about the theme of rest. But for his audience that were listening to him. Are reading the letter that were in that church, they would have been like, well, yeah, that was for our, our great, 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 great grandparents, that, that rest. that We don't have that same opportunity anymore, right? So they're hearing the story, and they're trying to think about how it applies to them. That's what they're thinking. And here's where he leans in, and he says, I want to make sure that you see that there's a promise of rest that's not tied to the past, right? But there is a promise of rest that remains For the people of God, there is a promise of entering rest that remained for them that wasn't tied to moving to a certain location or necessarily tied to taking a nap. But it was something that God wanted to give them that God wanted to lead them into that God had for them a promise that still stood. So as as I read about the, the sports people, the stats from those different athletes, they're talking about past rest. And we all know like how much you slept last night or how much you've been sleeping, how that affects you today. But here the author is talking to his church and the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and me about not a past rest, but a future rest, a promise of rest that remains in front of us. And it's this rest And knowing about this rest that develops resilience in them and develops resilience in them. Let me me explain it like this. Uh, A few weeks ago, my family and I, we went to the beach, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Uh, For years, our kids have been like, can we go to the beach this summer? And it's never worked out. But this summer, we said, we're doing it. We're, We're going. So we drove in our car, all four kids, my wife and I drove. And it's, you know, uh, Google Maps says it's about an 11 hour drive, uh, which is a ways. And with everybody needing to do their, you know, restroom breaks. And can we stop here at this gas station and get, you know, snacks or whatever? It's going to be a little bit longer than 11 hours. All you parents nod your head. You know what I'm saying. And we're in there. And Christina and I have been to Gulf Shores before. We know the rest that is in front of us. We know the promise of rest that remains. If we can just make it there, it will be sun. It will be sand. It will be pool. It will be the ocean. This will be a week of rest. Now, our four-year-old, he's heard us talk about the beach, but he doesn't know. So we get in the car. We're maybe an hour in, and he's starting to get uncomfortable in his seat and Okay, and he asked the, you know, the age-old question, hey, mom, hey, dad, are we there yet? And I look at the map, and I look at my, the phone, and I'm like, oh, boy, we have a long way to go. Are, are we there yet, right, why? He said, I'm bored. I'm bored here in this car. I'm uncomfortable in my car seat. I, can, can, he's asking, can we just go back home like there's a pool near our house. We can just go to the pool. You guys are talking about going to swimming. We just go to the pool by my house. I have my toys there. Can we, can we just go back? The, 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 the trial of the drive, right? He didn't know about the rest that was there. He'd heard a little bit, but it wasn't clear to him. We, we, we pull by, you know, Tyler. It's like, oh, there's a playground there. Can, can we just stop there at the playground? We get into Shreveport, as awesome as Shreveport is, right? You're thinking, man. Cracker Barrel, uh, <coughs> cornbread, biscuits. That golf peg game. You know, like, like you start thinking, you're like, maybe maybe that's where we should stop. Maybe that's the maybe that you know that's good enough. We've been going a little ways, right? He's asking that question just about every hour. I'm starting to believe it. I'm starting to be like, is is man, maybe we should just stop. Like, I don't know, I can handle this question anymore. But but I have the vision of the rest that's in front of me. It's in front of us that he didn't have. And because I knew the rest that remained, the promise of rest that was out there. Right. It made sense of the boredom for me. It made sense of it's uncomfortable, long car ride. It made sense of navigating all just the questions and just knowing, hey, if we just persevere. Right. It it built my strength because I knew the rest that remained. He, on the other hand, was like, man, I'm so ready to be done. Let's just give up. Let's just. Call it quiz. Turn around. Like, is this even out there? Right. And so you can see the power of knowing the rest that remains in front of us and how that practically works to build resilience, endurance, perseverance in our own lives. And what the author wants to do is he wants to help rebuild this early church. He wants to rebuild their vision of rest. Because maybe they, like River, have lost sight in the hardships of life, have lost sight of what's ahead of them. And it's like, wow, that, that option looks good. That option looks good. Maybe I should just pull off here or even go back. Right. Their, their, their vision of rest was unclear. It's what he's seeing. So he's trying to rebuild their vision of rest. And this is what he knows. He knows that if he can rebuild their vision of rest, That vision of rest will rebuild them. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. He knows that if he can rebuild their vision of rest, that rebuilt vision of rest will rebuild them. If I could help Rivers see hey, what's gonna be in front of us, we're gonna go swimming and we're gonna go to an arcade and we're gonna eat junk food and we're gonna, if I can rebuild his vision of rest, right, he's going to find that that rebuilds him. And for us today, those of us going through trials, going through temptations, feeling weary at a loss, worn out, just so tired of it all. And things start to look appealing that weren't appealing before. Be Like, man, that would just be nice. And that option would just be nice. And maybe if I could just pull over here or just get out of this deal here or whatever. Right. And what I want to do is I want to rebuild your vision of rest. Because there is a promise of rest that remains for the people of God. And if we can be rebuilt in that vision, guess what? That vision is going to rebuild us. We're going to be able to find new spiritual strength to keep going. Come on, family of God. I'm preaching to you today. As we let the Holy Spirit rebuild our vision of a future rest, a rest that remains for the people of God, that rebuilt vision will rebuild you and me and what will happen As on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, when you're facing the trials and the temptations that we're all going through and you're feeling the numbness and the weariness and you're tempted just to check out and give up and settle for less. No, you'll remember the vision of rest that is in front of you that God wants to lead you into and that will help you to find the strength that you and I need to stay faithful to Jesus. This vision of rest is so important in the book of Hebrews. What we're going to see is that for the author, he comes back to it again and again and again. Some of the most famous chapters in the book of Hebrews is Hebrews 11, often known as the Hall of Faith, where he goes through various heroes of the faith like Abraham, and he tells their stories. And if you want to be encouraged, read it, it builds you up in faith. But one of the things that he points out in there is that they too had a promise of rest that remained in front of them, that they did not experience the fullness of what God had promised here in this life, but that there was a rest that remained beyond this life for them of their ancestor, Abraham. This is what he said. He was one who left his land. He journeyed out. With God, he persevered through years of infertility, believing the promises of God, years of difficulty. How did he do that? How did he stay faithful to Jesus and have the discipline to keep going and not just say, I'm just going to go back and, and give it up? This is what he says in verse 10. It said that Abraham, what motivated him was he was looking forward, forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What helped Abraham to have the endurance that he needed was that rest out in front of him. This new city that God built, that's where he was going. He realized that this life was not the life that he was going to find his ultimate rest in. That's one thing that we all need to know. That's what these early Christians needed to know. Family of God. There are so many good little rests in this life. But we are in danger when things are hard and we're tired that we take a little rest and we turn it into the big rest. We turn it into the thing that our life is about. Right. And we begin to live for, oh, that relationship that I was in, I know it was bad. But you know what? It sure was nice to have someone there. Right. And, we, and we, we turn and we say, well, man, that's the rest that I really need in this season. Or, man, if I could just pursue this at my job, if I could just get to this level of income or start this business, if I could do that, then I would experience rest. And we turn a little rest, a blessing, right? But we turn it into this is my life's pursuit. And what the author's pointing out is he's saying, hey, Abraham realized that the rest that he was looking for wasn't going to be found in this life. Right. And as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you realize that God has a rest for you and me. It's easy to forget about. And we may taste bits and pieces of it in the blessings of this life. But if we're looking for our final rest to be here, we're going to miss out on the rest that remains in front of us. It says this, he goes on, he lists a number of other saints in Hebrews 11, and he says this. He said that none of them received the promise in this life, but he said instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The author of Hebrews is dedicated to rebuilding his congregation's vision of rest because he knows if they can see that rest, if they can rebuild it away from this week. And this month and this life and the good option here and the good option there. But they can stay focused on the Lord and what he has for them. It's going to rebuild them and help them build the spiritual strength that they need to stay faithful to Jesus. So as we're rebuilding our vision of rest very practically, and I encourage you to write this down. One of the things that we've got to realize and we need to remind one another on. Is that we need to realize that this world is not your rest, that the heavenly city that you're longing for, that you think would give you rest. That's not going to be found next week or next month. As many good blessings as there might be, because when the trials and temptations of life come, we're all tempted to pull off and detour. And we need to just kind of have a burn the ships moment where we realize the rest that I long for. That's coming ahead of me. That's not going to happen. We are going to inherit the kingdom of God through trials, persecution, temptations, difficulties. That is par for the course. This is what it means to follow Jesus. But that's because our rest doesn't lie here in cities made by men. We are pursuing a city whose architect and builder is God. That's what Jesus has invited us into. And we need to be renewed in that. We don't talk about that much anymore, but I want to bring it to your attention because the author of Hebrews is bringing it to the attention of his church. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring it to our attention as well. Rebuild your vision of rest and your vision of rest will rebuild you. Well, how does this actually practically work? Zach, I want to tell you two stories about this idea of focusing on the rest that remains in front of us. One is from the life of a pastor named Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter lived in the 1600s, and he went through a lot of physical sufferings, physical sickness. So for anyone in here that you are in a place of physical sickness and trial, and it makes you feel weary, and it's just like, oh, I don't know that I can keep going. I selected Richard Baxter because I believe his life would speak to you and encourage you. These are about personal trials. Here is what he went through. Uh, he suffered from chronic illness, kidney stones, headaches, bleeding, toothaches, swollen feet, and a myriad of other chronic ailments. He was in so much physical pain on a consistent basis that it was overwhelming and at times debilitating to him. And he said his secret For finding the strength that he needed to stay faithful to Jesus through the physical sicknesses of his life was that he would spend 30 minutes a day, a half hour a day meditating on the rest that remained. He would meditate. He would think he would go through the scriptures about what heaven is like and as he would focus on the rest that, was, that would remain, as he focused on rebuilding his vision of rest, what he found was that he found spiritual strength to make it through the trials of today. But it was that simple, Lord, I'm going to focus on the rest, the, ark of the, the city whose builder is you, the rest that remains, and it gave him strength. It strengthened him, and God used him to evangelize his entire town of 2,000 people. And he was a prolific writer. Some scholars believe he wrote more uh, theological books than any other person in English history. So in the midst of his pain, as he meditated on the rest that remained, as he rebuilt that vision, he found the spiritual strength for the assignment that God had given him. So if you're going through personal trials, I hold him up as an example to you of what that renewed vision of rest, how it can build spiritual strength. Now, we don't just go through personal trials that are internal in nature. Many of us, and I would argue our generation, we are going through public trials, areas of injustice and brokenness in our world that leave us feeling so weary and worn out that we could lose hope. And so on the other hand, I wanna put before you a leader in the American Civil Rights Movement named John Lewis. I read a biography of John Lewis this summer So powerful I knew his name before, but learning about his story, I found myself in tears in many places in the books. He grew up in the American South, and he was a young man in the launch of the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s. He was one of the the bus riders. He was beaten many times in his stand for justice. And the, the book dove into what was going on? Why was he doing this? What was behind him? And what allowed him to keep going in the face of injustice? And he was a committed follower of Jesus. And he had come to the realization that God had a rest that remained, that there was a city whose architect and builder was God, that who designed something for the people of God and that history was going to bend in that direction and that he was committed because he knew that was the rest that remained, that that's what God was committed to. It strengthened him to be committed in the face of suffering. In the face of discouragement, in the face of loss, he would remember the rest that was ahead, the city whose architect was God. He would remember heaven and what God was going to do, the reconciliation of heaven and earth, and that's what would strengthen him in the battle. And so if you're here today and you find yourself weary because of all the brokenness in our world. I put his life before you as one who, through this promise, remembering the rest that remains, seeking to enter that rest, helped him to find the spiritual strength that he needed to face the trials and temptations of his life and stay faithful to Jesus. So remember, rebuild your vision of rest, and your vision of rest will rebuild you. Now, what I want to do is not just tell you that, and then we walk away. What I want to do is take you into a time where we let God's word rebuild our vision of rest. So I want to walk you through a couple of my favorite scriptures about what heaven is going to be like. So here's what I'd like to ask you. I don't have them on the screen because I actually want to read them over you. And I want to encourage you to open your Bible and go there because these are ones to highlight. Again, the meat of this message is not necessarily what happens in this moment Although I believe the Lord wants to do something, but I'm wanting to equip you so that you can know, man, if I need if I need some scriptures on heaven, I want to rebuild my vision of rest. I need that spiritual strength. You're going to know exactly where to go. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. I want to describe to you heaven, because one of the things that I've found uh, is that we have a very as, as Jesus people. Many times, we don't have a very strong or clear vision of what heaven is like. You might think, okay, angels floating around on a cloud, a worship service that goes on into eternity. And that's the extent of our, our vision. And so when we start talking about, well, how would this city that remains, this rest room, how would that actually strengthen us? We kind of come up a little empty. What I want to tell you is the biblical vision for heaven is much more rich and nuanced than just we're going to be strumming some instruments on clouds. So I want to take you there so you can have some some meat to hold on to. And if you're familiar with these, just let these build your spirit today. If these are new to you, write these down. These are ones to take and hold on to. Revelation chapter 21, John, the beloved describing uh, heaven. He said this. He said, then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people for he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Take note. First aspect of heaven is it says that it's God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them as we consider and have our vision of a future rest rebuilt, I want you to know that it's going to be a place of God's nearness. It's gonna be a place where God dwells with his people. We get glimpses of that in this life. We will experience it in its fullness in the age to come. It's a place of nearness to God. Uh, It's a place where there is no longer any sea. Now, in biblical times, the sea was a place of chaos, destruction, and death. They feared the sea. After having Hurricane Ida a few weeks ago, you can see why they would have carried that vision, right? The sea can be incredibly destructive. And As John's painting a picture, he's using poetic language. He's not saying there's no water there. He'll talk about water in a moment. But he's saying there's no sea, that the chaos and destruction of life, has been brought still under the leadership of Jesus. So if you have grown weary from the chaos of the last 18 months and the destruction all around, I want you to know the new city whose architect and builder is God. There's no sea. Chaos has been brought to calm under Jesus's leadership. It says that it's, uh, it's going to be a place of beauty. It's described as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The national average cost of a wedding in the U.S. is $34,000, according to the Knotts Wedding Study in 2018. It's one of the most expensive events of one's life. Why? Because we want that wedding to be a place of beauty and celebration. And what we see is that the writers of scripture use the illustration of a wedding, of a bride marketing that the new heavens and new earth will be a place of beauty. So if you love to travel and feel yourself energized by seeing new beautiful places, heaven is for you. Heaven is going to be a place with beauty that will take your breath away. It says that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. If you have grown weary in this life because of death, because of sorrow, because of mourning, because of the pain of this life, what I want you to know in the new heavens and new earth under Jesus' leadership, that has been removed. It's been healed. It's a place of life, not death a place of joy, not mourning, a place of vigor, not pain. The old order of things has passed away. In verse 24, it says this. It says the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. There will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought Into it. What I want to point out here is that its gates will never be shut. You know, we all live in a place where we need to lock our doors, where at any given moment we can find out on our phones of some incredible violent catastrophe. We live in this state of fear. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there's no need to lock the doors, there's no need to lock the gates. It's a place of safety. It's a place where the diversity of the nations, their peoples, their cultural products, languages, the arts, the sciences, the literature and technology, all of these things that are good and excellent, they won't be lost, but they'll be brought into the life of the new creation. That's amazing to think about. So far from like a sterile environment, the aspects of the different cultures of the world that are God honoring and that you see like that is so amazing. That's what marks the new heaven and new earth. I'm hoping that this is rebuilding your vision of the rest that God has for you. I could go on, but we're going to stop here. That it rebuilds your vision of the rest that God has for you. Because I know as we let our vision be rebuilt about the rest that's in front of us, we all will find that vision will rebuild us. We'll be strengthened to run the race that God has for us. So with that, I want to invite you to stand can I get the worship team to come forward? As we close, I just want to read this Hebrews 4 1 verse over you. Therefore, church, since that promise of rest. Of entering that rest still stands before us. Let's be careful that none of us be found to have fallen short of it, but let us be ones that encourage and inspire, that call out one another and invest in one another, that we all together might enter that rest that God has for us. I'm going to pray, and then I want to lead us in response of just saying, thank you, Lord, as the worship team leads us and refills us in the area of rest. Jesus Thank you that the promise of rest still remains for the people of God. Thank you that there's a rest in front of us that is better than what any eye could see, mind could conceive, heart could imagine what you have in store for the people of God. God, thank you that even as we read the scriptures, it's just a foretaste, a glimpse of the rest that remains in front of us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people with a rebuilt vision of rest that we wouldn't put our hopes in the rest of this life, a a nice retirement, an easy life, a comfortable life, Lord, but that we would look to the city whose architect and builder is God. And that as we look to you, Lord, as we look to that city, that we would live like that and that we would find the spiritual strength that we need to face life's trials and temptations and stay faithful to Jesus. We love you, Lord. Come minister, Holy Spirit. If you're on the prayer, prophetic team, your staff, you're an overseer, if you'd come forward, if you need prayer today, you're like, I need resilience, I wanna invite you to come forward. If you need healing, come forward. We're gonna take time to minister to one another. As we worship in this song, I want you to let the Lord fill you up with the resilience you need for the week ahead.